Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wilson, Oklahoma, preaching the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wilson, please visit our website at fbcwilson.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Mark chapter 6. We are going to continue. Um, A couple weeks ago, we left off there in Mark chapter 6, and we're just going to pick up where we've been going through. We've been walking through the gospel according to Mark and looking at how Mark gives us the story of who Jesus Christ is as an opportunity for us to think about then what does that mean for us in our lives today. So just a quick recap. In chapter 4, Mark was talking about who Jesus is and talking about his authority and and his sovereignty and his power and all the things of the attributes about Christ. And then he shifts the camera, as I told you that he will do. He shifts the camera and he starts talking about the behavior. He starts talking about the response of the believer or the behavior and the response of the listener. So he's going to do this through his gospel. He's going to be focused on Christ and then he's going to be shifting and he's going to be focusing on the believer. And then he's going to focus on Christ and then he's going to be focusing and shifting on The believer. In the next several weeks, when we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000 or the walking of the water, he is going to be shifting to who Jesus is. But this morning, we are in Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 14, and I'll read aloud out of my copy if you'll read silently out of yours. Listen to what Mark then continues talking about, and the focus is on the believer. He's focusing on our behaviors and our responses, and he says this. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known, and some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. In the very first few verses here of this passage before us, Mark draws the attention to the response and the behavior of the believer, of the listener. And there is a question that is before them. If you look back up there in verse 14, it says, King Herod heard of it. What had he heard of? If you look in the preceding chapters, he had heard of Jesus calming the storm. He had heard of Jesus casting out the demon. He had heard of the woman being healed with the discharge of blood. He had heard of Jairus' daughter being raised. He had heard about the ministry of the twelve. And no doubt they had heard heard all of these things, and so all of these things then come to the government, all these things come to the community leader, King Herod, and he hears of all of this. And the question is, that they're answering this morning is, who is Jesus? Whether J.I. Packer, A.W. Tozer, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Adrian Rogers, Mac Brunson, Your favorite preacher, no doubt, has probably put it before you that one of the most important questions that you will ever answer is who is Jesus? 
Because that is one of the most fundamental questions that you and I will deal with. Because we will come to the word of God and we will come to scripture and we will see Jesus say, do this, do this, do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. This is how you should live. This is how you should behave. This is how you should sacrifice. This is how you should be devoted. This is how you should conduct your lives. And we'll come to those things. And if we do not have a proper view of who Jesus is, we might miss the point of what then we are to do. So the question before Herod here in this text is who is Jesus? And in the top of your notes there on the back of that bulletin, that's kind of the central idea that we're going to be driving to today. Who is Jesus? Here in verse 14, 15, and 16, you will see that they have some different explanations. There's three different explanations that Herod and those that are with him offer. And then I want us to see together that there's a fourth explanation that they are completely Ignoring. So we're going to look through these four explanations that are given here in the text that Mark shows us about who Jesus is. Now, some of your Bibles there in for, verse 14, when it says King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known, and then it said some said. Some of your Bibles may say he. Some of your Bibles may say Herod. Some of the translations are different. You may say, well, why the difference? Well, because in the original language, it's a little difficult. Those sentences there don't always have the subject, and so it has to be in so if you're one of those people that you're reading along in your copy of God's Word and there's a slightly different word, it's not that I am corrupting or manipulating anything. It's just there is some little bit of a freedom there in the translation. But notice, notice these four explanations. Verse 14, some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And then you look down at verse 16 and it says, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded has been raised. So the first explanation that they come up with is who is Jesus? They are saying that Jesus is really just John the Baptist come back from the dead, which you look down through there, verses uh, 17 all the way down through 29 is the explanation. It's the backstory. Because if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, you're coming along, then you saw John the Baptist in chapter 1, and then you see the camera shift and the focus becomes on Jesus for the remaining of the Gospel so far. And then all of a sudden now, if they're saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, if you're the reader, you're going, hold up, what happened to John? What took place about John? And so here what Mark is doing is he's giving us a little bit of a, a parenthesis, if you will, or a little bit of a, a footnote, if you will. And he explains why they are saying that it's John the Baptist come back from the dead is because somewhere before this time that it is happening here in Mark chapter 6 that John the Baptist had begun to take a stand. And he looked at Herod and said, Herod, what you're doing is sinful. What you're doing is wrong. Your lifestyle, your behaviors, your choices, they're wrong. Herod didn't like that. So Herod had imprisoned John. And then later on, and you can read it, we're not going to spend a lot of time in it for the sake of time, but for later on, there became an opportunity for those that were mad at John to have their revenge upon John. And the result was is that John was beheaded. He was killed not because of a wrong or a guilt of himself. He was not killed because he had committed a crime. He was not killed because he had started an insurrection. He was not killed because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was killed for standing for truth. Herod had him killed. So now, later in the story, 
now this Jesus figure is acting like, talking like John. What do you mean, preacher? Well, they think he's John the Baptist because John, one of John's common words was repent. You go back to Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. Mark, or John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's preaching a baptism of repentance. He comes on the scene and he tells them, you are to repent. And the idea that John was, was, was promoting is that when they repent, they are going to begin to live differently. Is this idea that he's telling them that when you realize who God is, that should change how you live. So John had come on the scene saying, repent. Repent, change your lifestyle, change your behavior. So Jesus comes on the scene saying many of the same things, and they think, oh, so that is John the Baptist raised from the dead. The problem with this explanation is that John the Baptist was not Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was not John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not the way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus says about himself, no man comes to the Father except through me. So there was a lot of people there that were listening to John the Baptist, and up to this point they have been listening to Jesus, and they just thought, well, if we just live differently, then that will be okay. If we just act differently, that will be okay. A common word that you hear people talk about when it comes to church attendance is hypocrite or hypocrisy. And the origin of that word has to do with back in the Middle Ages when you had actors and instead of having multiple actors playing multiple characters, you would have one actor playing multiple parts. And the way that actor would then differentiate between the different characters that person was playing is they had these masks on this little stick. And so the, the, the actor or actress, I'm not being sexist, the, act, the actress or actor would come out and they would have this mask on. And as long as they had the mask on, that they were this personal character. And then they would go back behind the screen and they'd pick another one up and there'd be a different mask and they would be playing a different part or a different character and the idea of hypocrite comes from somebody that is one thing in one setting and another thing in another setting and the danger with us equating Jesus to John the Baptist is we start to think well it's not a matter of my attitude it's a matter of my actions and as long as I change my actions I don't have to change my attitude so we start to be performance-based. And you start to have people that come to church and they think that as long as they dress right, they talk right, they act right, and they're in church, then everybody else is fooled. And then you can go home and you can watch and listen to and participate in whatever you want to do at home, and that doesn't matter. Now, what is the issue with that? The issue is, is we have children. We have young adults. We have young people that are seeing that, and they're seeing that disconnect, and they're going, it's not right. And so we have this problem where if all it is that he is John the Baptist, then it really doesn't matter about our attitude. It really doesn't matter about the posture of our heart. It just matters about our actions. So the first explanation they have is, well, he must be John the Baptist, asking this about Jesus Christ. He must be John the Baptist. He is saying repent. John the Baptist is saying repent. Same, same, not the same. Well, there's a second explanation that is given there in verse 15. But others said, he is Elijah. Now, think with me for a moment what you remember about Elijah. Elijah is one of the Old Testament prophets that is highlighted there in 1 Kings. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 18, he comes and he is confronting Ahab and he's confronting the idol worshiping. The idol worshiping, he's, he's, he's confronting um, Jezebel and he's confronting all the things that were going on. And when he comes in, I'm going to read this for you. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. He comes on the scene and he's looking at the people and he says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow and the Bible says, and the people did not answer him a word. You see, they thought he was Elijah because you'll find other places in Malachi, like Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4, where Malachi says there is going to come an Elijah before the time is fulfilled. And so they started thinking they were looking for that person. They didn't realize they were looking for that ministry. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will say that John the Baptist was that Elijah-type Figure, But here in Mark chapter 6, they think that, hey, maybe this is Elijah. Why? Because Elijah would come on the scene and he would say, reject. Reject the idolatry. Reject the worship of Baal. Reject the things that lead you to not fear God. Just reject those things. Return, or I'm sorry, come back to God. And so Jesus came on the scene. There's only one God. There's only one truth. There's only one way to God. We are to fear God and love God. So they thought that Elijah was saying these things. Jesus is saying these things. So maybe Jesus is just like Elijah. The problem with that assumption is that Elijah did not have the authority of God. What do you mean, Spence? I mean that sometimes we struggle with the failure of the familiar. You ever been in that situation where somebody says something over and over and over and over and you've heard it so many times it starts to go in one ear and out the other? And next thing you know, you and I just discount it. We just discredit it. We just stop listening to it. We stop paying attention to it. We're not being concerned. We just let it go in one ear and out the other. Well, Elijah had come on the scene, and Elijah was saying, idolatry is a sin. Idolatry is condemnable. Idolatry is wrong. Stop pursuing idolatry. Fear God. Reject idolatry. And the people had heard it so much and so much and so much, they become just kind of numb to it. They just become kind of callous to it. And it gotten to the point where what Elijah was saying was going in one ear and out the other. And the danger is, is you and I can start to do that with Jesus Christ. You and I can start to do that, which we read in the Gospels when he says, this is how I want you to live, this is how I want you to behave, that you and I can listen to that and you and I can say, yeah, 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 yeah. And we forget, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a day is coming that you and I, each one of us in this room, will stand before God. We will all stand before God and we will give an account. We will give an account of our lives to God. And for those that are saved, we will give an account of what we did with what Christ has done for us. We, every single one of us, it's not just a matter of an Elijah coming on the scene and saying, you shouldn't do that, shame on you, stop doing that. But he has no authority to hold us accountable. Jesus comes upon the scene and says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you now, but the day is coming that I will tell you again. And the problem is, is that sometimes we in our humanity, we just ignore the words of Jesus. And we move on. We hear what he says. We read what he says. We know what he says. 
And it goes in one ear and out the other. What are we going to say? What are we going to say when we're standing before Jesus? And he says, I told you. I told you. What are we going to do? Are we going to look at him and say, well, I didn't think you were being serious? Well, I was serious enough to die for it. I was serious enough to live for it. I was serious enough to model it. I was serious enough to demonstrate it. I was serious enough to base my life and your life upon it. And the danger is, is that we can come into the scene and we start asking the question about who Jesus is and we can start to think, oh, well, he was just John the Baptist as we try to treat him how people in this biblical setting, how they treated John the Baptist. Or we start to think about Jesus as just an Elijah-type character or figure and we start to treat him as they did in the Old Testament, how they treated Elijah. We can start to treat Jesus like that. There's another explanation they come up with there in verse 15 of Mark chapter 6. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. They're looking back to the Old Testament prophets that came. Now, you have major, you have minor. If you go back in your Bible, you have both that are in there. The major is not more important. It's just they're longer in length. The minor are not less important. They're just shorter in length. Each man was called by God, given a message by God to go and proclaim whatever God had told them. And when these Old Testament prophets had come upon the scene, one of the common refrains from all of their messages was, return. Return. You as a nation of Israel, you as a people of God, you have walked away from the proper worship, from the proper obedience, and from faithfulness to God. You have walked away from what it looks like to be faithful and fear God. And they are saying, return. Return to worship God Truly, so you have characters like Isaiah comes in here in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 and he says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his Isaiah comes on the scene, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, or Malachi. When these men come upon the scene, they are calling the people to return. They're saying, this is what God has said. This is what God has told us through his revealed word. This is what, this is what God's mandate is, an expectation for us. You have strayed. You need to return. The problem classifying Jesus as an Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophets came in and they had all the law and the do's and the don'ts. But they didn't have any of the grace. You see, if it was one of those things that you and I could be good enough for God, then we wouldn't need Jesus. If it was one of those things that we could keep the law and we could perform well enough and we could be good enough and we could earn it enough, we wouldn't need Jesus. The reason why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, is because we were not going to be good enough. We could not be good enough. There was nothing we could ever do that would be sufficient and enough to satisfy our sin debt before God. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes upon the scene, Jesus does not deny the accountability, does not deny the authority of God, does not deny the judgment of God or the law of God, but he comes upon the scene and 
and says, because I have come, you might have life. So he can't be one of the Old Testament prophets because when Jesus comes on the scene, he is saying, yes, the Old Testament prophets had the law, but they did not have the grace. Can you imagine how disheartening it would be going to the doctor? And you're sitting there in the doctor's office and the doctor comes in and says, I have a diagnosis for you. And you say, great. The doctor gives you the diagnosis and then it's bad. And you say, okay, doctor, well, thank you for the diagnosis, but what are my options? What, what treatment is available? The doctor looks at you and goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not in the business of giving treatments. I'm in the business of giving diagnosis. Maybe we think about it this way. The Old Testament is many times you will see and you will read in the, New Testament, the Old Testament about the judgment of God and the, the wrath of God and the condemnation of God and, and the accountability of God and all of those things. But if we just stop with the judgment and we don't give the hope, we're missing the entire story of the Bible. Or maybe put it another way, if all we do is talk about the condemnation, about the bad and the ugly and all the things that we shouldn't do and the doubts and the don'ts and the dits and all those things and we never talk about the help that can be found in obedience and faithfulness to Jesus Christ, we're missing the point. And so what we have is we have an entire society of people that understand that they are sinners. They understand that they are accountable before God. They understand that they are separated God by their sin, but they're looking and saying, so what do I do now? Because they're not finding help and hope, they turn to cope. And they turn for answers in the secular instead of trusting in the answers from the biblical. And brothers and sisters, we can sometimes be in that situation. We go to our Bible and we talk about, oh yeah, I'm a bad person. Oh yeah, I've sinned. Oh yeah, I've made mistakes. Oh yeah, I, I stand in judgment for God. And we talk about those things and, and we, we treat Jesus like an Old Testament prophet, but we never think about the grace that we have in him. Does that mean that we have liberty? Does that mean that we have freedom? Does that mean that we get to make up whatever rules we want? Well, Romans chapter 7 talks about that. Romans chapter 7 talks about the danger of you and I thinking because we are now in Christ, I can do whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want. And, and, and Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. When you are in Christ, then your whole world revolves around what Christ has said, what Christ has done, and what Christ has provided for your life. His will, his testimony, his demonstration, all that stuff then circles around him. So that I can sit here this morning and I can say, I do know what the law is, but I do know what grace is. I do know what grace is that even whenever I have sinned against God, even when I have turned away from God, even when I have rebelled against God, there was hope and there was help, not in a bottle, not in a script, not in a person, in Jesus Christ. So they have these explanations that are there. They, they're asking the question, well, maybe he's John the Baptist. Well, well, maybe he's Elijah. Well, maybe he's one of the Old Testament prophets. Or maybe, maybe, he just is Jesus Christ. You see there in the text, in the, in the translation that I'm using, it talks about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is his name. Christ is his title. It's the title for who he is and what he does. So the explanation that they're not willing to acknowledge, the explanation that they're not willing to address is that, yes, he's not John the Baptist. Yes, he's not Elijah. Yes, he's not an Old Testament prophet. What if he is Jesus Christ? What does that mean? 
Well, that means that we need to ask ourselves, then what has Jesus taught up until this point? So you go back into the Gospel of Mark, and you get back to Mark chapter 1. In verse 15, it says Jesus comes upon the scene, and he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. The message that Jesus brought to the scene was, Respond. Respond. You know God's law. You know your sin and your separation. I'm telling you that I have come from God. So now the opportunity is to respond. To believe that I am the Savior. That's the response. Does that mean that we have to be perfect? No. Does that mean we have to have all the answers? No. Does that mean we have to have all the steps figured out? No. Does that mean that we have to be so clean or, or, or so good or, or we got to change all these behaviors to come to, to come to Jesus and believe in Jesus? No. But Jesus comes upon the scene as we see, and you're going to see this in the, in the next weeks ahead of us. He's going to come on the scene and say, respond. Believe in who I am. And that's the question. The question that's before him here in the text is not, is he Herod? Is he Elijah? Is he an Old Testament prophet? But is he who he says he is? And that's the same question for you and I this morning. Is Jesus who he says he is? Because if your answer is, well, of course, then what does that do for your life today? Because if he is who he says he is, then that then means, and I put this in your notes, that he is the, he is my, he is your, he is their, he is our Lord. Now that idea of Lord, that definition that using the biblical sense is that he is not just sovereign, not just authority, but he is ultimately sovereignly in charge of every single facet of our lives. He is there to be in control and in charge of every single thing, every single decision, every single moment, every single breath. God Jesus Christ in the flesh now is in charge of everything. So then the challenge comes is sometimes the language the church has employed. Because sometimes the language that the church has employed has been misleading because we will say things in the church like, if you will just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm sure that I've been guilty of saying that myself, and, and I'm sure that I may slip and say that in the future, but the reality is, is I don't accept him. He is who he is. The only question is, will I submit to him? Let me put it a different way. Do, do we establish or discover truth? Is it one of those things that we as a society and we as a people get to make up what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false? We don't get to do that. We just simply discover it. And it really doesn't matter what you think or what I think or how we all feel collectively. What is true is true regardless of what we think about it. 
So it's not a matter of, well, either I will accept him or I won't accept him. Like Jesus is sitting there going, oh, please adopt me. Please take me home. Please, please, please. And if I say no, then all of a sudden I am not accountable to, I am not beholding to, and he is no longer sovereign over me. For instance, I decide, you know what? Gravity has had its time. And you know what, I've, I've lived 42 years and gravity's had a, a pretty prominent place in my life all this time. But you know what, I, I think today's the day that I'm going to not accept gravity's place in my life. And so I have decided that I am going to deconstruct. Some of you will be familiar with that word. I have decided that I am going to deconstruct. And no longer, no longer is God going to be God. And no longer is Jesus going to be the Lord. No longer does he have authority or say so over my life. No longer is any of those things true. I have now denied and I have refuted and I have decided. So I walk to the top of this building. I walk down to the end. By this time, you've all heard my speech, and you're like, oh, we got to see this. This fat boy's going to make a big splat. And, we, and we, I walk down the end, and you all get gathered up around here, and some of you are like, don't do it. It's dumb. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I believe in here. I know it in here. And you can't tell me what is true to me. You can't tell me what is right and wrong to me. I know in here, and I choose to believe. And I walk to that edge, and you all are sitting there, and some of you are going, well, I've been waiting for this for a long time. And some of you are going, please don't do it. And I step off. In that moment, does it matter whether I accept it or not accept it? Is gravity, that unspoken magnetic force, is that gravity going, well, he didn't accept me, so therefore I have no control over him? Does gravity say, oh, well, let me try to argue with him? No. There are certain foundational truths that are not dependent upon your feelings or opinions. They are foundational truths that are true regardless of whether you accept them, deny them, or understand them. They are true. So when it tells us, when it tells us in Colossians that Christ was before all things and all things have been created in him, what Colossians is saying is, is that he's in charge. Which means he's Lord. So it means the main question for you and I today is who is he for us? And I realize that may be misleading. You're saying, so Spence, I get to define who Jesus is. No, I'm asking, what do you affirm about who Jesus is? Because you can sit here this morning and you can say, you know what, he's a good teacher. And oh yeah, I know that I should listen to this and I should listen to this. But you know, there's portions of scripture that I want to do gymnastics with. And there's portions of scripture that I'm going to ignore. And I get to do that. No, you have a wrong view of who he is. Well, that is dated, and I have to take it contextually, and I get to do all kinds of men, I get to do all kinds of twisting around with it. And there's this guy named Thomas Schreiner, and there's this guy named John Piper, and there's this guy named blue 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 blue, and they say this, so therefore I get to then make up my own opinion about what it says. Then you don't have the right view of Jesus. Well, it's not that popular anymore. He wasn't talking to me. Spence, can you really say it's every single word, literally? It depends on who is Jesus. 
If Jesus is the Lord, if he is the second part of the Trinity, if he is God in the flesh, if he is the only way for getting to God, is he, if he is the only way that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins, if he is the only one that came and was a suitable sacrifice for our sins, if he is the only way that we can have any hope in eternity in heaven, if he is it, then it's of great importance of who he is. You can mix up my identity all you want. You can say I'm a nice guy. You can say I'm an unnice guy. You can say I'm rude. You can say I'm sarcastic. You can say I'm handsome. You can say I'm physically fit. You can say I'm intelligent. You can say I'm charming. You can say a lot of things about me that are true or untrue, and really that's not going to make a difference. Because at the end of the day, you don't answer to me. But if you... If you misidentify who Jesus is, and when you stand before him, you won't get a pass. You'll be separated with the goats, and you'll spend an eternity in hell. So the question that they have before them here in the text is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? So then how does these questions how do the four explanations that we looked at this morning, how does this then apply? Three core values of the church, build families, teach the Bible, be the church. So then how do these then filter in to what we do? Three thoughts, and we'll start landing the plane. The first one is this. Answers align actions. Answers align actions. What do you mean answers align actions? Well, the question is, is who Jesus is. So if you say, well, Jesus is Lord, then the question comes, do I go watch that movie? No. Why? Because Jesus said don't. Do I pursue this behavior? No. Why? Because Jesus said don't. That answer of who Jesus is should align what my actions are. They should align my time, my abilities, my resources, my priorities, the things that I do with my life and the way that I spend my life. Those should all be aligned under that answer of who Jesus is. If Jesus is a quack and if Jesus is just a popular figure in biblical narrative, if Jesus is just a good person that came and did some cool stuff, if Jesus did that, then you can align yourself however you choose. But if he's Lord, then that answer then aligns what you do with your life. That answer then aligns how you live. In 2010, I was perfectly content. Tucker and I were working in the oil field together, and I was perfectly content just pursuing my life. And in God's goodness and God's graciousness, he brought Eli into our home, and as I have this three-year-old son, and, I, and, and I'm wanting to make sure that that son sees the same person at church that he sees at home. So in order to do that, I've got to work on me, and I've got to work on my faithfulness, and I've got to work on my obedience, and I've got to work on my relationship with God. And so as I'm doing these things, and as we are engaging in church, I start to have this nug, and I start to have this understanding, and this just this impression that God puts in your life, that you know what? This oil field gig is not your long-term, not your long-term career plan, buddy. You're going to go, and you're going to serve 
pastorally in the church. And I remember fighting with this, and I remember wrestling with it, and I remember arguing with this. And in 2010, I'm sitting there in a lawn chair in the front grass of my preacher's house, and he is sitting in one lawn chair, and I'm sitting in another lawn chair, and he's like, what's the problem? And I said, the problem is, is that I think God wants me to quit the oil field and go serve in the church. And he's like, great, what's the problem? And I said, the problem is that I don't want to do it. He said, well, why is that a problem? And I said, because I think I'm supposed to do it. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, because I don't want to do it. And he said, well, what's the problem? And I said, because I think he's telling me to do it. And he said, so what's the problem? And I said, because I don't want to. And I remember him telling me, Spence, what you're looking for is peace. And you're never going to find peace doing what you want to do. You're only going to find peace and doing what he says. So really, the takeaway for me was, is I'm going to leave. And the question is, is am I going to do what I want to do, or am I going to do what he wants me to do? And that's the, really the question. And the question comes down to is, who is in charge? Who is the Lord of my life? Who is sovereign? Who is in authority? Who has that call? And when I, when I said, you know what? I'm not in charge, he's in charge. Then that answer then aligned everything else. Because then when he's in charge, all I got to do is step in line and sign up and be obedient. That answer aligns all the rest of my actions. So how does this text inform us of how we build families? Because we understand that one of the biggest questions in our homes is who is Jesus? And if we as parents and as we as grandparents and we as aunts and uncles and we as adults, if we get this answer right, then it aligns our actions. And it should align our actions regardless of the emotions and the feelings and the fickleness of our children. It should align our actions regardless of public opinion or regardless of what this secular, godless, Luciferian world tries to tell us is important and what matters. It aligns our actions and now our standard of success and our measurement of success is not based upon the world, it's based upon Scripture. It aligns our actions. Secondly, his authority is not returnable. So how does this text help us teach the Bible? We understand that his authority is not returnable. You know, many of you in this room are, are, are part of the whole Amazon culture, the whole Amazon lifestyle. And some of you will get on there and you will purchase items, number one, because they got the little prime swoosh on there saying it's prime. And you think, therefore, I need it. I mean, I need it right now. I didn't know I needed it until 30 seconds ago when I saw that Facebook commercial. But now I know that I, now that I know it exists and now I know I need it. And now I know I need it right now. There's some of you, some of you in the room, that you do your shopping based upon that next little phrase to the right of the prime, and that is free returns. So this idea is that I can purchase it, and if I don't like it, I can send it back, and it doesn't cost me a penny. And oh, the glorious use of being able to buy 20 items, only wanting one item, and then be able to sort through those 20 items, send those other 19 items back, and no foul, no cost, no kind of problem to you. And sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we do that with Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life until your will for my life and my will for my life conflicts. And then you need to go back and get on the shelf and let me go on. And then when I need you, I'll call you back. 
We think that we can return the authority of God. The authority of Jesus Christ is not returnable. And so what do we do when we teach the Bible? We are teaching people that the authority of Jesus Christ is not something that we turn on or turn off. It's not something that we either accept or reject. It's not something that we can then choose or not choose. It is something that is true, just the same as gravity is true. And the only question is, is will you submit? And then this last one. How does this then help us be the church? Well, we understand that when it comes down to it, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. You see Herod and these people that were surrounding Herod here in Mark chapter 6, they're trying to ask the question, well, who is he? And, and, and part of that question is going to imply, then what does this mean for us? And, and then they're asking this question. And, then, and, and you'll see later on in the Gospels where there comes a period of time where Jesus is having a conversation with Herod. And Herod likes to listen to him. And Herod's having a conversation with him. It's going back and forth and back and forth. And even if you look down here in Mark chapter 6, it talks about in a place where John, used, John the Baptist used to talk with Herod. And they used to have conversations. And sometimes you and I can start to think that the point of the story is about me. The point of the story is not about me. The point of the story is about Jesus. The point of this church is not about what do we think about Jesus. The point of the story is not what does Jesus think about this church. The point of the story is about what does this church think that we are going to do to point people to Jesus. And the question is, it's not about us. It's not about my preferences. It's not about my opinions. It's not about my wants or my desires or my experiences or my assumptions. And it's about who Jesus is. These people here in this text, they are wrangling with this because they think that if then they can decide, well, he is this or he's not that, then they can manipulate how they respond. And Mark says, he is Lord. So then what do we do as a church to be the church? We recognize that it's not about people's opinion of us or popularity, buildings, budgets. It's about making much of Jesus. So the question then comes to you and I this morning. Who is Jesus? Will you bow your heads with me? Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.